0: Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the funniest, fastest, and most fervently insightful breakdown of all the week's top news in the world of retail and also the podcast with the best alliteration. It's July 29th, 2021. I am your host, Anne Mazinga, joined today by someone I've never heard so much excitement for as a guest on the OmniTalk podcast. And you will see why in this episode. I guarantee she will live up to the hype, the Executive Vice President of Marketing for Pacific Retail Capital Partners, Najla Khayyam. And for those of you listeners who don't know Najla, I want to start, Najla, by having you give us a little background on who you are and why you have graced us with your presence today on the OmniTech Podcast. So excited to have you. Thank you, Anne. so
1: excited to be here. Um, You know, retail is
0: certainly a passion of mine. I've
1: been in the retail, marketing, consumer real estate space for the last 22 years. Started my career right out of college and have really um, just been able to expand within the United States and learn all about consumer, retail, real estate development and mixed uses and how to reinvigorate assets and how to add value to property and how to you know work with various work streams to maximize results. Um, across the real estate spectrum. So really that's a lot of what I do. Um, I'm really excited to be here and to be a part of the show.
0: Well, we are excited to have you. I think that, you know, one of my certainly my areas of passion is just this intersection between retail and real estate and they are just those industries are just becoming closer and close more closely intertwined. Uh, I think as we continue to see, you know, people evolving spaces as we're coming out of this pandemic. And so I'm so thrilled to be able to have your insight today. Um, we've got some pretty we've got some pretty good topics, Najla. Uh we're going to be talking to Today about Shopify, deploying shop pay, buy now, pay later to merchants. Uh, We are talking StockX, getting into beauty. Uh, Also, Najla, I'm very excited that we have you on the podcast for insight on this one. There is a developer setting out to turn dead malls and office parks into a new vocabulary word I learned this week called Urban Herbs and Netflix first physical store. We are going to take off, though, with our first headline. Najla, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So headline number one is yesterday, Twitter launched a shop module as part of a U.S. test. So with the shop module, brands, businesses, and other retailers can display products to Twitter followers directly on their business profile. Not the personal profile yet, just business profiles at this point. The followers will then be able to scroll through carousels of product images in the module and tap on a product that they're interested in purchasing, similar to what they're able to do in what we've seen from Facebook and Instagram shops. This will open the business's website inside the Twitter app itself, where the customer can learn more about the product and make a purchase all within the Twitter app uh, Najla, we do this partnership with um, A&M Consumer and Retail Group, where they they are retail experts in consulting, and they take their point of view on one of these headlines. They're going to hit us with a question. They're going to put us on the spot right away. They knew that you were coming, and they were like, we are going to put them on the spot. We're going to ask them a question specifically about this Twitter shop module. So their question for us as we are thinking about our answers to this question or the discussion we want to have around this headline is, well, most B2C brands tend to de-emphasize Twitter in favor of other more consumer engaging platforms. We mentioned Facebook shops, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. How, if at all, does a shop module on Twitter change your advice to brands on where to put their marketing dollars on social media Let's let's start, Najla, by just getting your, yeah. your insights and thoughts about adding shopping to Twitter and then thinking about that question from A&M of, you know, what would you be recommending to somebody who says, do I need to, to expand my shop onto Twitter?
1: Yeah, no, I think this is actually really good. I think that anywhere where communication takes place, there's an opportunity for commerce. So this is actually something that I believe has been in the making for several years and they actually shelved. Um, to focus on communication with uh, within their their sector so for me I think you know customers are channel agnostic they want what they want when they want it how they want it and you want to be able to purchase something that you're interested in at that point of communication when you're talking about it I think it's a great opportunity for influencers especially to that are connected with specific brands and in that case it's going to be up to the brand to be able to keep up with the product on the carousel that's being talked about within the Twitter feed so I see that as the biggest opportunity but also um, you know I, I just think that's that might be the biggest hiccup because what's on there being advertised might not be relevant to the conversation but if you can match hmm. that up I think that this has a tremendous amount of potential and any brand right now it's very exclusive there are only a handful of brands that are able to do this but right. anybody who who has a shop and shop, It doesn't take much to add a couple more images and to connect to your online store. So um, for me, it behooves you to be everywhere where your customer is. So if you're active on Twitter and you've got an active customer base, I would recommend putting your dollars there, just like any other social media platform. You've got to really diversify that and see where your market is and then spend accordingly. So I think that's
0: all in a nutshell. I could not agree more, Najla. I think that's so key that you said that something at the end there, you know, putting your marketing dollars where your customers are. I think it's almost, it almost seems like a simple answer to that question is if your customers are there, then you need to look at that. I think what I find interesting, especially about Twitter as a platform, is that I think that this is a massive opportunity for brands too. I mean, it really needs to be a consideration across more brands that might have considered like Facebook or Instagram or Snap or TikTok shops because I think you look at the the utility that Twitter provides. I mean, this is where people get their news. This is I think up there with LinkedIn, especially, you know, in a in informal polls that we've done of people that we've interviewed, we always ask at the end of our interviews, you know, what um, if you could could um, only have one social network for the rest of your life what one would it be and so many people like business people especially say twitter because it's it's a source for them for content for entertainment for sports for you know politics for everything and so i think that as you as brands are thinking about this they really have to take a step back and, and think about this more mainstream audience that you know has the potential now to engage with social commerce and you're keeping them within the app at the same time. I think that's the critical part of it too. So um, yeah,
1: just like in real estate, you want to increase dwell time to keep them there, which translates to more sales. You want to keep people on your pl- platform longer, which is going to translate to more sales, which is going to really boost their revenue. I mean, right now they don't have a, they have you know various streams, but this is really going to boost that. Advertising is a significant revenue stream. And um, I'm looking
0: forward to see how this unfolds. I am too. Yeah. You mentioned too, at the beginning that this has been in the works for a while. I was, I'm kind of surprised it took them this long to do it, but really excited. I think you and I will both be keeping our eyes out for, you know, what this starts to look like as it unfolds to more partners beyond these exclusive businesses that have access right now. Well, some of those businesses on Twitter uh, may even have Shopify stores and now they can offer their Twitter customers buy now, pay later options through Shopify. So Shopify's Pay installments feature rolled out to all US merchants about a month ago, allowing uh, Shopify customers to purchase products in four easy installments without interest. Shopify partnered with a firm to provide the Pay service and they claim the big headline that came out this week was that um, purchases made using this Shop ShopPay uh, BNPL platform tripled in the second quarter versus just three months prior. Um, ShopPay installments is now automatically enabled for all merchants signing up for Shopify payments. And if sellers do not want the option to have this automatically added, they must opt out before August 27th. Now, Najla, you don't know this about me, but back in my day, I used to be, um, a journalist, a reporter, and I always wanted to be an investigative reporter. Like this is where I, that was where my passion was. And then I started working in news and realized that that doesn't get to happen very often. I was reporting on more like cat fashion shows than I was on, uh, on anything groundbreaking on world shattering. Uh, but this story I read and actually found out about because we have a Shopify store. We did a local um, e-commerce site last holiday, and we got this email that said, "Look, we're we're going to roll out Shop Pay. It's great. You get more more engagement." And that's the headline. That's what we're seeing everywhere. But it also said that if I don't opt out of this by August 27th, that it's automatically put on my store, and that as a you know small business, in my in our case, you know this is not our core business. Small businesses who you know may not have the experience working with Buy Now Pay Later, they may not be familiar with this, but they allow you know the Shop Pay app on their platforms will now be charged almost six percent for each of these transactions which is almost double what they're charged for credit card transactions on the site. And while this may not seem like a big deal, I think the argument from a lot of people may be that perhaps that gets me more revenue because people are more more likely to buy with this option. It is a significant change in the business model for small businesses. So I think that's something that I think is important to point out here. Najla, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, are you, are you seeing high adoption uh, where you are of Buy Now, Pay Later? Are you a user of Buy Now, Pay Later yourself? Like, What are your thoughts here about this move from Shopify? I mean, I think
1: it's a great service if you want to opt into it. Uh, in everything that i had read, I didn't read that there was that 6%. So I think that that's a little bit misleading and not really forthcoming to share with everybody until you dig in as a merchant to see that. I think right. that that plays a big difference because it's about double the amount of what credit card fees are. Um, so if you don't know that you just think it's a service, I think that's a, a problem, I do, however, believe wholeheartedly in Shopify, and I think that they're moving in the right direction. I think that 2020 was their Super Bowl year. Um, Everybody who had to get online got online, and uh, I was a very big advocate and facilitator of that within our retail space and within our real estate space. So, you know, we were shut down in March, and we went from a decades of consumer driving traffic of driving sales and having events and having programming in order to get people to come to getting people to stop coming and getting people to shop online within our stores and to keep our stores operating so that they could continue to pay rent and be active and be part of our programming moving forward so that when we did come out of the pandemic, they were there and they could flourish and they could survive. And so that was a big part of what my marketing team's Job was tasked with was to help really? these retailers and a big part of it was getting them online and so shopify actually became a partner in a lot of different markets for some of these brick and mortar only stores to have a e-commerce solution in sight so i think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there across the board at all Great. retail facilities um, every business by default will become omni-channel
0: in order to stay relevant in the marketplace I had no idea that, you know, I, I'm really glad you were talking about just how you were helping some of these retailers get online. Like You don't think about the fact that, yes, that is a very important part of the real estate side of the business is, you know, you partnering with them and having a tool like Shopify to be able to say, bricks and mortar only retailer, here's how you can quickly get your products online and, and become an omni-channel shop. Do you see that as like almost a, a service that like some of these, these managers, Provide or companies will continue to provide, or how, how do you kind of see that continuing as we kind of go through the next, you know, hopefully post pandemic phase? Here? Yeah,
1: no, great question. Um, it's been something that's been at the forefront for a couple of years now. I want to say maybe four or five years mm-hmm. now ago, Pacific Retail partnered with a group called Share Rails to bring an omni channel experience to the shopping centers and to give brick and mortar mm-hmm. retailers a platform in order to have their service online and to be almost a searchable mall. Um, You know, we invested, I want to say about two and a half years of time, energy, effort and money into developing it. And this was actually pre-pandemic, but the retailers, it was very hard to get them all in sync and to buy into it and to get all their corporate offices on board and to get all of their inventory loaded in and and managed. And, um, you know, they just weren't all in. And so when I had to reevaluate where we were going to put our eggs in our basket, basically, that and what the team decided, it just wasn't it. And so there is something there, although that solution, um, you know, we don't have enough control over the retail landscape. Once you lease a store to a retailer, they essentially can do what they want to do within those four walls as as long as they comply within, you know, the lease requirements and have the right uses, etc. But you don't really get to dictate how they run their business. And so with you know, right now I think we manage close to 3000 retailers within our facilities. There, there are a lot of personalities. There are a lot of POS systems. There are a lot of Mm -hmm. ways that they do business groups are consolidating. Lots are going bankrupt. Lots are um, expanding and shrinking. But I think all in all they need a online platform. They need a digital presence. They need a brick and mortar space in order to expand and take their brand to the next level. Um, And All of those things need to work in unison. There isn't that perfect solution yet. There are a lot of groups out there trying and piloting programs and doing it. I hope that one of them are really successful and can set a blueprint for everybody else to follow. Um, But I haven't been successful in doing that yet. Um, (laughs) But I hope somebody is.
0: Yeah. Well, we, I know we've been following that really closely. We've been watching, um, what adept mind has been doing with Centennial malls mm-hmm. where they're really trying to bring that mall. Like you mentioned, you know, once you get everybody online, how are you getting yeah, them the to concept. kind of work? The same- do it at scale. So you know, right. you're doing
1: it a test pilot. You're doing it at one mall. You're doing it in one market. You're doing it with what, you know, but adding it at scale is the challenge and the problem and then getting everybody focused on that. And then the last mile solution to close that loop to get that product into the customer's hand um, might come back to go on to the developer at some point in time. But I just don't think anybody is really there yet in order to execute it and to have all
0: of the retailers
1: on board and utilizing the service.
0: Right. Yeah. So many, so many point of sale systems, so many options for, you know, like buy now, pay later options for payment that you'd have to coordinate. And yeah, it's, well, it will be interesting to see kind of where this evolves, especially like you said, with Shopify having such success um, with online retailers to see kind of how they might come into that fold too. Well, Najla, you will want to have a buy now, pay later option for this next story. StockX is going beyond the sneaker market and into beauty. So, Revlon released a limited edition collection in partnership with Megan the Stallion that dropped yesterday on StockX. The Megan the Stallion collection is limited to just 450 sets, starting at $40, which makes Revlon the very first makeup company to launch a collection on StockX, leveraging the platform's DropX model. Najla, First of all, are you like a sneaker person? Are your kids sneaker? Like, are they getting into these like StockX and Goat?
1: 14 year old is. He sells and buys sneakers and has been doing that for a couple of years. He's all over StockX. He's all over all of the drops. He has three or four computers set up in the living room at a time, all logged in through different accounts that, you know, to go in and buy. So I see it happening in front of my eyes. Um, I, you know, I don't think that there's any uh, shock as to StockX going into the beauty and the health and beauty wellness side of the business. Um, Funding to beauty and personal care services over the last year has increased over 20% to the year prior up to $2.3 billion right now. So these segments specifically makeup, men's grooming, sexual health, and sustainable bath and body are all categories that are up and coming that I anticipate will be on StockX at some point in time. Um, After I read this, I actually went on StockX to go and see if I could even purchase any of the kits that Revlon put out. And originally they were being sold for $40. And right now they're reselling at the highest bid for $160. I saw that. Yes. You see the multiplier there on the value um, just by making it limited edition. I mean, 400 units, she could probably sell that with one Instagram post. So do you really need this? Probably not. It's all about hype and relevancy and to really um, be the target of hip culture. Um, But yeah, I think it's great. And I'm excited to see this all come to fruition as well. I mean, launches, beauty launches and limited edition sets aren't new in the game. You've seen it come out of Kylie Cosmetics, uh, KKW, various different brands out there. But I think it's now more accessible and um, more relevant and right. you can really target a niche. And with Revlon, I mean, they're almost a hundred year old brand. So they've right. got longevity in this business. They're the first ones that are doing it. They've got, um, you know, sustainability. They've got a foothold within the market to be able to try new things and develop new concepts and partner with different people.
0: And I love that you you brought up kind of, you know, how... This category is booming, especially over the course of the last year, beauty and health and wellness specifically. And what is increasing even more so, and I think people don't realize is not just this first drop, but also the fact that beauty resale is a category. Like people buy and and resell beauty products, even used beauty products on everywhere from Poshmark to StockX to, you know, Facebook marketplace. Like that is a category that exists. And with the increase in beauty, the increase in resale that we're seeing, you know, just Multiply like crazy for over the course of the next couple of years, getting somewhere like StockX where you're bringing this next generation in, maybe for sneakers, but then they start to see these other products that they can buy and resell on here, um, is a is a huge opportunity for anyone I think in the in the resale market that's taking advantage of this. Um, from the point of yes, being able to make a quick term profit on these limited edition items. But even, you know, over the course of, of a few years, I mean, I, I know, like I've purchased things off of like way back when off of eBay, like a scent that you like, or a fragrance or a particular kind of lotion or something like once that goes out of stock somewhere, like, yeah, you're, like you're trying to, the, Are you yeah, back to bath and body works, like 1985
1: ish.
0: <laughs> That's what, there's one. There was a hand cream that was like a eucalyptus spearmint <laughs> hand cream from Bath and Body Works. The same thing. I remember the day that it arrived, and it was like trial size. I think I ordered like 24 trial size bottles for God knows how much money. But I just I loved that scent so much, and it was discontinued, and so I just was buying it off of eBay. So anyway, we're, get, we're getting down a rabbit hole here. But I think that the concept that I really want our listeners to get across is that, well, you know, that like maybe Lululemon once seemed to some people like, no way are people going to buy, you know, reselled, uh exercise equipment and, and gear. Beauty is another category where people will, there is a willingness to buy in that category, especially when you start talking about, you know, some of these higher level products like the KKW, the Kylie, MAC Cosmetics, those limited edition um, products. There's a market for that too. So, well, Najla, I mentioned this earlier, but I'm really glad we have you on the show today because I have a lot of questions to ask um, and get your opinion on for this next uh, headline. We have Mark Toro, the developer behind the infamous Avalon Urban Herb in Alpharetta, Georgia, going out on his own to buy up dead malls and office parks and turn them into vibrant communities. Now, Toro has raised significant capital and is building a team of real estate veterans that are setting their sights on distressed property in the Sunbelt states to start. Um, he said they're particularly interested in outdated suburban office parks that are not walkable to a town center as their prime targets, where they will be putting retail services as well as food and beverage concepts. Now, Najla, I, I I'm I have to ask you about this. Like, is the what are the components and pieces of creating what an urban herb, which is an urban setting in a suburb, is what I'm gathering that smushed together word is is meant to mean. But what are the components, like if you were approaching this, if you were out looking for distressed office parks, what are those core kind of foundational things that that you would be putting into these centers to really make them thrive?
1: Yeah, I think finding those centers is first and foremost, most critical. So, okay. and that's really dependent on location, right? Most of these shopping centers that are not thriving currently were built at Maine and Maine within these suburban environments and the community has been built around them. So they've got to have a very good, dense location. Um, they also should have a location that's growing, that has some type of population growth, whether it's on the finance side, the business side, the population for um, student growth, um, new families moving into the area. So you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success first off. And then Also, making sure that the financing piece is is secured is really critical um, to making these developments happen. A lot of times they start, they stall, they start, they stall, they start, they stall. Um, And so having all of those pieces in a unified segment is really important in order to blow through these and make them a reality. What you want to do is create this amazing community um, that's very centered on placemaking and engagement and making you know and making sure that it's relevant so the leasing and the merchandising mix is really critical because you want
0: places where people want to go is there anything specifically that you've seen like you know with this this Avalon concept in um, Alpharetta that you know this Mark Toro is so well known for they built it in, you know, which, which was kind of, you know, they said lifting and landing, like an Atlanta neighborhood into the middle of the suburbs in Georgia. Is it as simple as that Najla? Is it like just find making sure that you have the right like tenant mix and merchandising mix, like you're saying, or are there places like, you know, we're talking about stock we're going to talk about Netflix next, like, are there, key things that you would be like looking for or or maybe types of retailers, D 2 C retailers, like how are you thinking about what that right mix is? Cause I think it's it seems like it's yeah. not as simple as just like if you build it, they will come kind oh, of thing. yeah, it's definitely not that easy. I wish it
1: was. Uh, The retail mix is critically important. So the retail side of it, but also the other uses, what other uses are you integrating to create this mixed use environment? So whether it's residential, is it for sale product? Is it for lease product? Um, Office, what class of an office it is? Is it industrial opportunity? Is it creative office space? Is it class A office space? Um, How do those places connect and thrive? You've got this new lifestyle hybrid experience, everything from luxury fashion to health and well-being, hybrid retail formats that are catering to consumer desires for a really enhanced multifaceted brand experience. It's going to take a lot to get various real estate professionals to buy into that. But, you know, the idea around showrooming and not actually being able to purchase something within four walls and how do you attribute the value of that space to that asset when you're doing that. And so connecting the entire omni-channel ecosystem in some way, I mean, it's out there and
0: it's going to happen. That's such a critical part of what we're talking about with these new developments, that it's not just putting an outdoor mall in, in place. It's not just about the retail. It's really evolved into this lifestyle center concept. It's how many things can I get done When I'm in that place at that time and how long do I, do I want to stay there? And how many instances do I have to stay there when I'm by myself or I'm with girlfriends or I'm with my family? Like, what are all the things that can fill those needs? And it's not just about the retail, like the mall anymore. It's really about that comprehensive experience in order to make this a thriving, a thriving center. We teased it earlier. So Netflix is opening their first physical store in Tokyo. So after opening an e-commerce store just a few weeks ago in the U S the streaming giant is ready to take on physical retail. They plan to open the store in Tokyo in 2022 with a host of experiential features like sets from shows and a wall. This sounds really cool explaining how the algorithms serve up your show suggestions. They'll have a range of merchandise um, from their most popular shows. And unlike previous partnerships that they did with Topshop, Target, and others, the merchandise that will be sold in this Netflix store will be exclusive to the stores. So, Najla, tell us your thoughts on, on this one. I love to see digitally
1: native brands move into brick and mortar. So that first off is a huge win. Um, in order for digitally native brands, Netflix it would be considered one of those, um, to expand and to grow and to reach a larger audience, they need to have a physical presence. And so this is a great example of that. Brands in general um, are also really looking to leverage their customer loyalty into new formats. So they're adapting and adopting brand extensions as a way of creating growth strategies to better connect to their customer base and to their consumers' lifestyle preferences. So you're seeing a lot of these types of solutions and also pop-up type hotels, pop-up restaurants, that have a brand name associated with it that gives that affinity, that also creates that Instagrammable, you know, experience for people. And so, right now, you know, they're really embracing and showcasing their multifaceted brand experience. This will be a great thing. I'm excited to see what that technology is around how you get deter- served up your, right. your, your content. Personally, I feel like most of the time when I'm on Netflix, I'm just scrolling looking for content to to watch. I'm not, I don't have shows that I'm really into. I don't really watch TV. So when I do, I'm like, oh, let me see what's on. Well, anything you want is on. So you have to decide. So I watch a little bit of everything and I never end up watching
0: one show. (laughs) So your algorithm will be all over the board. Yeah. You could be getting any kind (laughs) of thing. That's, but it'll be exciting to see still, I think. They are making shows, making merchandise, and then Making evolved shows off the merchandise and what they're seeing people, uh, you know, kind of flock to the things that people are getting excited about. Um, they're also now getting into video game streaming, which will open them up to even more merchandise categories. So I think you know, really brilliant work here on behalf of the Netflix team. We've also been seeing this um, in other categories. So Hasbro has been doing this too. They actually bought a, a <laughs> content studio and like Netflix are kind of creating content, creating merchandise and new toys and things, and then creating more merchandise and toys based off of spin. I'm doing offs of these things. Like it's just, it's a never ending yeah. flywheel. And I think, you know, for Hasbro, they saw a 47% revenue jump last quarter in just the entertainment content. So just creating entertainment from, you know, every every toy that has existed for the last 60 years. And then a 33% lift in revenue from the toys based off of the entertainment. So they're just going to keep feeding each other. Like you said, just a really smart strategy, I think, to involve content and, and um, entertainment in in this creation of, of merchandisable product. With the rapid expansion of
1: esports and branded and permanent assets for esports teams becoming a part of um, establishing really long-term franchises, you know, there's some opportunity right. there for them to tap into that those leagues in esports and to participate in that space as well. And then there's an opportunity for shopping centers and or vacant spaces to host these type of establishments on an ongoing basis and to create that um, loyalty and affinity with the teams and the games
0: and the place and the space so This will all be really fun and interesting to follow. I didn't even think about that before you mentioned it, but like the entire shopping center surround, you know, like how much merchandising can you do for that one event with the merchants that are already in the shopping center or or in and around that vacant space? That is, yeah, man, that could just blow up. That's crazy. Najla, that closes us up on the headlines this week. I mean, I have so much to think about coming out of our conversation. I feel like we could keep talking about every single one of these stories. Uh, It's time, though, for our rapid fire questions. Are you ready to go with this week's Fast Five rapid fire? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. first question for you, Najla. Which company in this week's Fast Five would you most want to work with?
1: I'm going to go with all of them. I think that they're all innovative, doing really cool stuff. Oh, and they all okay. have a place and space within the retail ecosystem. So okay. um, I'd be super stoked to work with all of them.
0: Next question. According to Boston Brewing, who bet big on the hard seltzer market and saw a steep decline in stock as a result, uh, the demand is declining for hard seltzers due in part to the oversaturation in the market. Najla, which of the following is not a real hard seltzer. Ranch water, PBR, that's Pap's Blue Ribbon, stronger seltzer, Lizzo Fizzo, June Shine, or Agua Fuerte. I'll go with Agua Fuerte. That is an actual hard seltzer. Lizzo <laughs> Fizzo is the one that is not a real hard seltzer. But let me tell you, I looked up 40 names and I could not believe how many. There There was at least 40 hard seltzers that were on the market. Many of them I had never heard of. Next question. Amazon rumors circulated this week and were later denied that the retailer would begin taking cryptocurrency as payment. What Amazon product would show up the most in your uh, purchase history, Najla, in a permanent blockchain. The Nespresso espresso coffee pods. Ooh, are you a big fan? I've always wanted one yeah. of those. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm a
1: cappuccino drinker, espresso drinker. So you just flop them in and go.
0: Okay. Yeah, I have like well, five different flavors and. Okay, and Amazon is your go-to Amazon for those Amazon's My purchases. go-to for that. Next question. Walmart said it will pay 100% of college tuition and books for employees through its Live Better You education program, eliminating the previous $1 per day fee it charged employees to be part of the program. If you had to go back to school right now, Najla, what would you study?
1: I'd probably stay on the same path, but I would have probably gone to law school or gotten my JD MBA um, just based on what I do now in communication and how often I talk to attorneys, I think that that probably would have been beneficial for me.
0: All right. Next question. Shopify announced that they will now allow merchants to sell NFTs. What wins, in your opinion, most ridiculous brand NFT, Najla? Charmin's non-fungible toilet paper or Pringles Crypto Crisp flavor that you can't really taste?
1: I'm going to go with Charmin's non-fungible toilet paper. I looked at both of those and I thought, man, someone would buy this. I mean, it it has relevancy just with the year of 2020 as almost like a joke, like a Christmas ornament that you would hang sure. on the street, sure. um, right? As a little memento, but it was pretty silly.
0: I would have to agree with you. I couldn't believe that was a real thing that people were putting out there. It just goes to show just because everybody's doing it does not mean that it is absolutely the right thing that your brand should be doing. Know your audience, people. Know your audience. All right, Najla, if people want to follow you and the work that you're doing, where can they find you? Where can they be following that? Find me
1: on Instagram and on LinkedIn uh, at Najla Kayyem,
0: N-A-J-L-A-K-A-Y-Y-E-M. Thank you so much for being with us today, Najla. That that wraps us up this week. Uh, Happy birthday to Tim Gunn, uh, famous for Project Runway and who most certainly would not have approved the outfit I wore It's my first Martina McBride concert. Martina McBride also celebrating a birthday today. And remember, if you can only listen to or read one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you and all within the preview pane of your inbox. Sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The a and Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities towards their maximum potential. CRG brings the expertise, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit Takeoff.com.